Good morning, everyone. I hope you are doing okay. Uh, welcome to our church online service this morning. Uh, particularly warm welcome, as uh, Gavin and Jess already shared. If this is your first time with us, uh, we know that um, uh, uh, coming to a church service or even watching it online can be a bit of a weird experience. Uh, perhaps if you're not from a church background, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You might be watching this with many questions. Um, well, that's, that's okay. That's perfectly fine. Uh, feel very free to get in touch with us and ask away. We'd love to help you to explore uh, Christianity and the claims of Jesus and the Christian faith as much as we can. Okay, we are in the book of Luke um, today, and uh, we've been working through the book of Luke, and we've been using uh, the, the meals of Jesus that we see in the story to help us to, to navigate through this book. Uh, there are lots of different moments where we see uh, these meals taking place, and uh, uh, that uh, uh, is just a good way for us to discover some of the themes of the book as we go. So I'm going to read the passage to you now, and then we are going to pray. So this is from, uh, we're in Luke chapter 11, and we're going to read from verse 37 to verse 54. It says this, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner, and the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Forgive as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Jesus, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles. Some of them they will kill and persecute. So the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who purchased between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. 
You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Jesus, we pray as we look at these words this morning, we pray that uh, you would do good to our hearts, that you would speak kindly and graciously to us, that you would lead us back to you, you draw our hearts ever deeper into you, help us to follow you with all of our being. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. A question that sometimes we ask is, or sometimes you might ask as a believer is, what, what could be the greatest challenge today to being a Christian, the greatest challenge to the church, to the people of God, to the Christian faith? What's the greatest challenge? And you might instinctively think of some threats outside of the church, in the world around us, the culture around us, oppression that sometimes you might feel where there's lots of different worldviews, different ideas that seem opposed to our, what we believe, that can feel like a great challenge. In Jesus' day, I think if he'd said, what's the greatest challenge, they probably would have said the Romans, the evil empire that's opposed to what we believe. Or you might think of threats, perhaps more inside the church, decline in church attendance. Uh, At least in the Western world, that's not actually true for the majority of the world. You might think of the decline of the observance, of the decline of the, the active pursuit of Jesus, that people just aren't living out their faith. But actually, I think if you asked most people who aren't part of a church, who wouldn't call themselves Christians, maybe you're, you'd see yourself like that and you're watching today, most people would probably say the greatest challenge to the church is the church itself, that we're hypocrites, that we don't practice what we preach, which itself is a verse from the Bible. A survey a few years ago said that 85% of people, and these are people who, who said that they knew believers, they knew followers of Jesus, even as friends of theirs, 85% of them said they thought Christians were hypocritical. So 85% of people, not just Christians in general, their friends who were believers in Jesus were hypocrites and what does that mean to be a a hypocrite often we can think that there's we might talk about the hypocrisy gap the gap between what we do and what we feel the gap between our actions and what's actually going on in our in our hearts which in many ways is true but that's not quite what Jesus is saying here in this story He's, he's invited to this meal, he sits down and his host, this Pharisee who's invited him, asks and he's astonished that he didn't wash before, that he didn't wash his hands before he sat down at the dinner table. It's not just because he's worried about the current corona regulations in Palestine 2,000 years ago. What he's concerned about is, is a, 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 not even a, a command in scripture, but an, a, a tradition that they followed that if you were out with people, if you were out associating with the unclean, with sinners, that you should wash before you came to the table. And they'd been watching Jesus 
the Pharisees have been observing him. They knew that's what he did. If again and again you read the Gospels and Jesus is out there with sometimes the lowliest in society, greeting them, spending time with them. And they're saying, how could you have been with those people and not cleaned yourself? And Jesus' response is to say, you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. So what Jesus does is he points out that their hypocrisy is the appearance of religiosity, the the appearance of righteousness, the appearance of being good and holy on the outside, but using that as a shield, as a distraction from what's really true on the inside. See, hypocrisy is, it's the art of deception. And these Pharisees that Jesus is challenging have become experts at that. They've become experts at PR, about appearing as one thing to distract people away from what's really true about us. And I'm sure as I'm saying that, you can, maybe that's already hit your heart and you thought, oh goodness, yeah, that's, that's true of me sometimes. I know it's definitely true of me that so often I want to I put on a good appearance. We all want to do that. We all want to show off the best, best parts of our life. And sometimes we'll do that because we, we know that there's something inside that we want to hide away, that we want to distract from. And what Jesus does, it's a bit unusual to be invited to a meal and deliver six woes on your host, but that's what Jesus goes for. That's his uh, dinner table etiquette. And he picks out these six woes, which we're going to look at this morning. And uh, each of them he's using to expose their hypocrisy, that they're hypocrites, and to point out to them a better way of life. So hopefully we can learn from these things as we go. His first woe is he says, Woe to you, Pharisees. You tithe mint and ruin every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. The hypocrite will often live life almost as a kind of a performance, living out some kind of performance, artistic uh, impersonation. Even this word hypocrite in the original, it's a, it's a Greek word which comes from the idea of, of an actor performing. And in the Greek world, uh, back in biblical times, the actor probably would have worn a mask or even in Shakespearean England 500 years ago, that's how an actor, often they would have assumed a character by wearing literally a mask and a costume, as actors still do today often. And to, so to be a, a hypocrite is to, to play a different part, to assume a different character. And often the way we can find ourselves doing that as Christians is observing lots of details and technicalities of very easily our faith can become about certain behaviors, about acting out spiritual practices. That's important to observe spiritual practices, to do, there's something in doing that actually there's a, there's a power in it that then it affects into our heart that changes us. That's important. But often in acting out certain behaviours, of doing certain things, performing certain religious tasks, 
we can begin to convince even ourselves that by our own performance that we've somehow made ourselves righteous. And we use that to then persuade others. We want to show off to other people by our acts, by our deeds. And when you do that, little by little, it will begin to warp you. If you just become so concerned with the, the amount that you tithe, the amount that you serve, and the amount that people see those things, what Jesus says here, that you will end up neglecting justice, neglecting the love of God, neglecting what it actually is to work out the Christian life, to love others and to love God. Those are the two commandments that Jesus lays out in the Gospels, and that's what he's underlining here. You do all these technical little things, but you've, you've missed the heart of it, that you're living your life as this grand performance, showing off your deeds, but you've forgotten justice of loving others, of seeing the love of God penetrate into your own heart and into the hearts of people around you. The second woe, Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. The hypocrite will often love praise. We can very easily become addicted to, to honor. And it's, it's good to honor people. It's good to encourage people. And we feel that when we're honored by someone, encouraged by someone. When we walk into, we don't have perhaps marketplaces we walk into, but when we, we're around friends and they greet us and they welcome us, that's good. And it is good. It's not necessarily a negative thing at all. But when your desire, your heart is to be part of the in crowd, the inner circle, you want to be in the know. You want to get caught up with the, with, with the, the, the impressive people. You, you want to, you become obsessed with status and position and being around the right people and not the wrong people, where you love praise so much, it can, it can warp your heart. Because at the heart of hypocrisy is a thinking that who others think you are is important or thinking who, worrying about what others think you are matters more than who God thinks you are. Maybe that's the question you want to ask yourself this morning. What am I more concerned about? Am I more concerned about what Jesus thinks about me or what those people over there think about me? So often that's how we, we judge how we're doing in life is the status that we hold with our peers, with our friends, with our family, our work colleagues. And we need to resist any attempt to define yourself by anything other than the love of God. Because the answer isn't to, because we, we, you probably hear this all the time in the culture around us. Yeah, don't worry about what other people think about you. What's important is what you believe about yourself. And it's actually not true. 
we're told all the time that what's so important is how we define ourselves. But actually, the most important thing is not who you think you are, because that's going to change depending on what kind of day you've had, depending on what mood you're in. And when you begin to define yourself on just limited categories like that, it, it, that won't release you into the fullness of life. What will define you ultimately, what will shape you in the most positive sense is what God thinks about you, his love for you. The next woe is Jesus says to them, woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Perhaps a bit of an unusual verse. What Jesus is saying is that uh, to, to, uh, uh, in their culture that they would have believed that to, to walk on the grave of a dead body was, would defile you, would make you unclean. So Jesus is saying, you're, you're, you're something that when people come near you, they're defiled. You see, what the hypocrite will do is often he'll just create more hypocrisy. See, there's, a, there's something about, our, about sin, about our sinful nature that is corporate. It affects people around us. There's no such thing as a private sin. We can sometimes think about, well, I could, this doesn't matter. This isn't going to affect anybody else. Actually, all, all sin in our lives is, is antisocial. It will break down relationships. It will hurt others. And in, in, a, in a, a family like ours, in a church family, one of the things that's really important is, is culture. Because that's how we, we learn and how we grow is we get sucked into a culture, a way of doing things. So if you have a culture that's full of encouragement and praise, wanting, wanting people around us to flourish and see the best in one another, it, it rubs off on you and you, you begin to want to do that to other people. Whereas if you're part of a, a culture that's always negative, it's always looking to bring people down, it's always looking to point out the weaknesses and judge others, then you'll become like that too. The Bible speaks about that again and again, how the, the culture of a community is so important. It's something that we need to watch out for. Integrity breeds integrity. If we want to see each other flourish and grow in the love of God, then we'd start with taking that responsibility upon ourselves. And then there's this, this interjection in the story where Jesus had delivered his first three woes and one of the lawyers answered him. So Jesus had initially been talking to the Pharisees around the table and the lawyers elsewhere, you can see them described as, as scribes or teachers of the law. So they would often have been together with the Pharisees but not necessarily Pharisees themselves. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. I think as a nice, polite Englishman, at that point, I would have said, oh no, I, I, I'm terribly sorry, I didn't mean to offend. But uh, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus winds himself up and then delivers another woe. He says, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens 
hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. See, the hypocrite loves to point out failings, weaknesses, sins in other people. There's a verse in uh, Matthew 7 where Jesus also talks to the hypocrites. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? How can you say to your brother, let let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. That's, That's a verse that hypocrites both love and hate because it penetrates into us. But it's often, I've noticed, it's often a verse we like to use about other people. His problem is he can't see the the log in his own eye and he's always pointing out the speck in other people's eyes. We use that verse to talk about other people, but we rarely apply that to ourselves. We so easily uh, find ourselves in a place of, of standing in judgment over other believers, often dear friends of ours, even family members, husbands, wives, we, we want to judge them. We want to point out their failings, their weaknesses, things that they need to do better. And all at the time, we miss the glaringly obvious, massive big logs sticking out the side of our face. <laughs> Such an easy trap to fall into. A friend of mine often says that grace thinks the best of people and that I want that to be my, the default of my heart all the time, I just want to think the best of people doesn't mean you have to be naive doesn't mean you just have to not see and say oh it's just, we'll just brush that under the carpet yeah, when we see sin in people's lives then it is good to confront them in love and to call it out but we must start first of all by looking into our own hearts seeing what's going on in here because actually, Jesus' instruction is not to point out, uh, not to put burdens on others, but he says in Galatians, Paul writes here, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. That's what we're called to as a community, as a family together, is to walk alongside one another, carry each other's burdens. And that, that might seem a bit difficult to do at the moment, but perhaps the best way you can ever carry someone's burdens is to pray with them. Some friends of mine uh, shared uh, a few weeks ago that they were going through a, a tricky situation. They live in a, uh, another country, another part of the world. And a group of us said, we are going, on this day, we're going to pray and we're going to fast. And a group of us, uh, about a dozen of us from lots of different places, we set out one day together to pray and for fast, to, to break through for these friends of ours. We had a little 30-minute Zoom prayer call where we just, for 30 minutes, just prayed. And, and it felt just like 30 minutes on a Zoom call. It didn't feel like much. But I know for them it was, it was massive because they just felt, oh, there's people, they're sharing this burden with me. That they're carrying it with me. They're carrying it in prayer with me. That's such a powerful act to do. The next woe, I'm actually going to skip 
one, and then we'll come back to it. But Jesus says, woe to you lawyers, this is in verse 52, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves. You hindered those who were in entering. See, hypocrites will often hate the truth. We'll use scripture for our own means. We'll warp its meaning, change what it actually says. We'll skip bits out. We'll emphasize other bits and ignore others to back up what we want it to say, to point out the, the things that, that we're passionate about rather than the things that Jesus is passionate about. See, it's important how you read scripture. It's important how you read the Bible. And the, the easiest way to do that is to, to read it from your heart, is to, to let Jesus penetrate right into your very soul and not, not spend the time looking for, where, where does this book, where does it tell me about me? Where, where does it tell me about the answers that I need to hear? But rather read it and say, what, what, what does this book tell me about Jesus and who he is and how he loves us? A writer called John Flavel wrote, an honest, well-experienced heart is an excellent help to the head. Such a heart will serve for a commentary on a great part of the scriptures. When you come to the Bible with an open heart, eager for Jesus to speak to you about who he is, that's a great way to interpret scripture. It's a great commentary is to come open-hearted to the Bible and to, to love the truth. However dangerous it is, however controversial it is, but to see there's so much good in this book that will set you free. Finally, the hypocrite misses the messenger. There's four verses here, which I won't read to you all. But where Jesus says to them, from, from Abel to Zechariah, what he means is from Abel, who's in the beginning of Genesis, to Zechariah, who's a priest at the end of two chronicles, both of whom are killed. Two chronicles is the last book in the Hebrew Bible that Jesus would have read. So he's saying in all of the scripture from beginning to end, every time a prophet comes to you, you kill him. And then he goes on to prophesy and say, well, this is what you're going to do to me. This is what you did to John the Baptist. This is what is going to happen to me also. You're going to persecute and you're going to kill. See, often there's a Christianity, there's a, a religious faith that becomes very mechanical. We can miss Jesus so easily. We can even talk about being gospel-centered, but it just becomes a mechanism, a, a device, a series of rules, a structure, and we can so easily miss Jesus in the heart of it. It's so important that we come to this, this book, we come to this faith, longing desperately to meet with Jesus, to know his love and his power invade our hearts. Now, in all these different woes, it's important to say that hypocrisy is not being more messed up than we seem, because that's true of all of us. I'm not saying you're a hypocrite if you, if you feel like, ah, oh, people think one thing of me, but actually if they really knew what I was like, if they really knew my brokenness, my mistakes, all the silly Peccadillos, all the mess in my life, all the things I'm not proud of, the things I thought I'd done, even this week. 
That's true for all of us. Every one of us, we're all messed up, more messed up than we seem. To be a hypocrite is to use, is, is to put on a performance to, to hide that away, to try and distract from that reality. So how do we, how do we do what Jesus says and to cleanse the inside of the cup? How do we really change our hearts? It says in 1 John, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, this is where we need Jesus. We're, we're all more broken than we seem. We're all the, the inside of the cup for all of us. We so often just feel dirty and mangled and messed up. The only thing that can really cleanse you and clean you is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the truth of scripture. And we can, we can walk in the light, yes. We can have fellowship and accountability, openness with other believers, yes. But ultimately, all of that is made possible. And the only thing that we really is gonna change us is Jesus himself. Because in the end, it, the passage finishes with the scribes and the Pharisees trying to provoke Jesus trying to get him to, to trip up, to catch him so they can condemn him. They're trying, to, they're trying to find his hypocrisy. They're trying to find his hidden sin to expose him. But they, they can't. Jesus is the only one who can point at others and call them hypocrites and not be a hypocrite himself. He's the only one that walked his life with perfect, total integrity, with complete purity, purity but in the end he took on our sin he, in a sense he, he became a hypocrite on our behalf because he took all the condemnation the wrath of God he took upon himself he took all our sin all our hypocrisy all the ways we try and put a mask up all the ways we try and disguise our brokenness and put on a good face all the ways we, we don't practice what we preach, Jesus bore all of that on himself. He took the punishment for all of that. He died for us and he, he cleansed us from all of our sin. And he gave us a, a gift to us, his righteousness. See, what, what I said earlier is so true that what matters most is what God thinks about you. And when the Father looks on you, what he sees is the righteousness of Jesus. <laughs> That's it. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And you might think, well, I, can't, I, I know what, what God thinks of me is the most important thing, but how could God ever love me? How, how could he ever love someone like me? And yet he does. He does. He loves you so much that his son, Jesus, paid the price for you, took the penalty of sin and death for you, and in exchange has given you his perfect righteousness, that before God the Father, you can stand with complete, with all that hypocrisy removed, 
It doesn't mean that we shouldn't therefore try and to imitate Christ. Of, of course we should. But your, your starting place is the love of God, of his righteousness poured out on you again. Let's respond by singing some songs of worship to God. Let me pray for us briefly. Jesus, we thank you so much. Even preaching this message today, I'm, I'm aware of so much hypocrisy in my own heart. If I'm sure everybody here today who's standing in front of a camera, everybody here watching this at home is aware of so many times in our lives where we don't practice what we preach, where we, we put on a good front to distract from what's really true within us. But we thank you now that all of us can stand before you, those of us who are believers in you, and know that your righteousness has been given to us as a free gift, and we can receive it today. And I pray that you'd help us just to give praise and thanks to you for that, but, but to, to live lives of integrity and purity and holiness not to try and earn or win your favor, but because we're, we're standing in the reality of what's really true about us. Thank you, Jesus, for your wonderful grace for us. Amen.